Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, roles, high fits, compassion, great passion, fiction, gold, ultimate gold, glory, relentless training, pain, pain. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another awesome episode of the Rose Show. We got them coming out thick and fast weekly episodes mm-hmm. on the row show and what a banger we have today as always it's myself lawrence Britton, and with me jake green and today we have another olympic champion this time around we are speaking to uh, christine roper from the canadian women's eight that had the performance of their lives to come away with the gold medal there and such an awesome chat a big fan of the sports in her own right and you know, very, very easy chat that we had. And I just, you know, one of the standout performances of the, the Tokyo Games obviously was the women's eight and just getting behind the the scenes and just chatting about a bit about the race and like how much, um, you know, how much the, ra- the, the race meant to them as a crew and how they executed was phenomenal. Yeah, I like digging into like rowing Canada and, you know, like she had, uh, She'd won at under twenty three. She'd been a world champion in the in the women's eight at under twenty three level. But then, you know, all through the Rio cycle, all through the the Tokyo cycle, you know, always coming second, coming third, and like just never managing to to get into that top spot. And like always having the belief that the the team and and the crew was good enough to do it. But then never managing to convert. And then you know really using the the extra year, and you know coming to to japan in like the best possible uh form of the for them and then executing amazing racing and, and coming away with the win there it was kind of like a fairy tale story at the end yeah definitely and um yeah i think uh it's it's also an interesting chat because you'll 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 pick it up as the the podcast goes along but anyone that's been invested in canadian uh women's aid drawing and, and the event is it's it's definitely a project that the that they've had going on the on the books for a long time is that women's eight, and it's always been so competitive, but never quite cracked the top spot. So this time round, you know, Tokyo they managed to come away with the gold. So I mean, it's great to to kind of like chat to someone that has the the story of their results in Rio, and then kind of like finish this cycle with a you know have a really good uh, ending towards their their journey. For sure, Jake. I think you put that uh, really well. And I mean, she was so awesome to chat to. Uh, and just, man, we just had such a cool uh, kind of interview where we just dug into, you know, jumped around, nothing uh, in chronological order, just completely uh, switching it up and, and just kind of bouncing around. And also then really digging in in the, the quick fire questions, like kind of, you know, you could see she was actually a huge rowing fan. She had huge rowing knowledge. So then digging in more uh, around those questions were, was really, really awesome. And yeah, I think just a huge shout out to you guys, especially our Patreons. You guys are legends. Thanks so much for the support. If you want to support the show, head on to Patreon and join us there. We have amazing community growing there where we, you know, we're always talking uh, rowing, kind of rowing nerdery on uh, on mm. our whatsapp group and uh and it's just growing and it's just a really cool environment to be if you if you kind of enjoying this these kind of chats that we we have on the show and otherwise share the show tell your friends about it and enjoy let's get in awesome guys enjoy 
welcome ladies and gentlemen to another epic interview on the Row Show and we are very excited today. We are joined by Olympic champion Christine Roper. Christine, thanks so much for joining the show. What does it feel like being the Olympic champion in the Women's Eight this year? Hello, thanks for having me. It's actually, um, even just hearing you say that I giggle because it's just like Olympic champion Christine, like it's something you dream about for so long and then it happens and you're like, wait, what? So it feels really, really good, but I'm still in my shock. Have I woken up for a dream phase? Mm. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, I can believe it, and it's. I'm, I'm really excited to, ch- to, to chat to you because you know, doing the research and you know, obviously watching the rowing of the last couple of years, the Canadian Women's Eight has been a big project um, that's been happening for a while, and you know, yeah. it's, it's, you guys have always been super competitive and it's been a real, real fight to, to get to the top where you guys are now. And, um, you know, I just want to go straight into the Olympics in Tokyo and just chat to us about like, what was the mindset going into, to the games? You know, you hadn't raced in two years, you get to the yeah. games and you know, you're in a, a pretty good spot, you know, you've been competitive in the past and just chat to us about the feelings of getting to the village, you know, getting ready to race the heat and, and what, what was the vibe like when you got there? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest aspect of Tokyo for us was just the unknown. I mean, like you said, we hadn't raced in, for us, it was since the qualifier in 2019. And so, I mean, in a typical year, like I'm thinking about like the lead up to the Rio Olympics, you have so many World Cup races and you've even got races from the year before. You have an idea of who's going fast. I think in an event like the eight, because the personnel does change quite a bit, it's very like you're not going to see the same partnership for the whole quadrennial. Um we knew the lineups of the other boats, but we just had no idea really what everyone else's speed was. So we just had to be very internal. So I think our massive focus was just like play to our strengths and do what we think we can do. And I mean, I've been in lots of eights and knew in the couple months leading up to the game, seeing the speed that we had, I knew that we were fast. I knew that we had something special. It was definitely the, the most impressive eight that I'd ever been a part of. So that was very, very exciting but everything was just so unknown. Like when we were lining up for our heat, we, you just like, <laughs> we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll get to the finish line and see what happens. And part of me was for the couple of weeks sitting up to the games, just craving that feeling of like seeing how fast everyone else was and not having to wonder anymore. Mm. So um, I think we had a couple of really good training sessions in the, we were in, we moved to Japan um, on July 1st. So almost, we were there for almost a month. And in our staging camp leading up to moving into Tokyo, into the village, uh, things were going really well and clicking and we were having some really good sessions. And so it was like really, really exciting. And yeah, we raced our heat and um, and then the rep and we got nipped up in both races at the line, mm. which was really annoying first by the Kiwis and then by the Romanians in the rep. And so I think during the regatta, we just tried to keep it really simple and dissect each race and figure out what we could do better. And I really felt like we had our right race on the right day. And so it was really, it was quite special, but it was definitely a big project. So uh, mm-hmm. I think dig into that a little bit. Cause like, I mean, obviously it's mm-hmm. not a straightforward regatta, you know, it didn't just arrive, yeah. you know, when the, when the heat, when the final, like take it <laughs> easy to you, you know, coming second point three of a second behind New Zealand, oh, who then you ended up taking it from uh, in the, in the final. So like, what was the, how was the like, crew after the heat and into the rep and then like what had changed between the the heat and the and the final because now that's you know you did another two races that you hadden done for mm-hmm. for two years so mm-hmm. uh, there must have been a lot of 
kind of learning happening even in the week of of racing uh, at the Olympics? Oh, big time. Like we always say, you can you can visualize and practice for races as much as you want, but there's nothing like the learning experience of actually doing a race. And so mm. I think, I mean, obviously we, we when we race New Zealand and China in the heat, we wanted to win. I mean, you always want to win. And, and uh, but before we went in, we were almost, this is a win-win situation. Like we either win the heat and, and see the speed that we have, or we get an opportunity to go through the rep and race again and just learn more. And coming off of, you know, the pandemic and really not having much race experience at all. In hindsight, I think I'm really glad that we didn't win the heat and got another chance to race because we just learned so much. I think the morale after the heat in our boat was, um, I think disappointment only because we knew that we could do better. Like there were certain aspects of that 2K that we really, really liked, but we knew that we had areas to clean up. So there was frustration anytime that you underperform, you're frustrated. But then it was also very positive in that, I mean, yeah, you don't want to have your best race and get beat. You want to have a mediocre race that you know you can improve on. And I yes. think that that's definitely the vibe that we had in our boat. Like we knew that we had a better second thousand in us and it felt kind of like a hidden, a hidden hat trick, I guess. Mm. <laughs> um, and we went into the repechage feeling a lot less pressure. I mean, in the eights event, because there's seven entries, the winner of the heat goes straight to the final, but in the repechage, it's only the loser that doesn't make it to the final. Mm, yes. So there's a, it's a different, I always find it's a, a lot different of a vibe when you're racing not to come last versus no, racing to come extremely first. extremely different. It's, it's, it's like changes the mindset completely. Oh yeah. Like you can tell there's always a point in a race. I think when, when crews break and realize they're not going to win and kind of fall off the back. And I think when you're winning to come first, you see a bigger spread in the field because like people are just like, okay, I can't win. So we were just expecting a little bit more fight out of the crews that may maybe a little bit further off the back in the heats. Mm. Um, but we were confident that we would be able to make it to the final. So there really wasn't that much, um, negative stress or anxiety. I think we were just really excited for it. And then we showed up on the morning of the rep. And for us, um, our schedule got moved around a lot, obviously due to the weather yeah, that was yeah. in Tokyo. And the day of our rep was like that screaming tailwind when everyone was like, I mean, world records were falling and then we yeah. knew we were fast. And I mean, I've been rowing for a really long time and there's only I've probably only been in a regatta like two or three times where there's opportunities to set world records, right? Like the conditions have to be pretty much perfect in mm. order to set a world record. And so when we saw those conditions and we thought, oh my gosh, we could maybe set a world's best time here. Like it put the pressure back on the race a little bit, if anything, just internally for us, because instead of now just not racing to come last, we were like, oh, like we could do something pretty cool here. Um, and so there was slight disappointment again, when Romania was able to nip us at the line. And <laughs> we, we always joke, cause we talked a lot about like in our meetings leading up to the Olympics, we said, okay, one of our goals is to break the world record. You know, like we're good enough, we can do it. And then we had a chuckle to each other after the race being like, okay, we need to be more specific. Technically we broke the world record, but we didn't set the new one. So yeah. it was like a bit of a chuckle, um, oh. but it was good. Like, and again, we, there were so many areas that we knew that we could clean up. And then we had a couple more sessions after the rep leading into the final to focus, like really zone in and focus on 20 stroke chunks in the race instead of looking at the 2K as a whole. And yeah, once we got into the final, like about halfway through and everything, I mean, we've all been in a boat store, it's like clicking and going really well. Mm. And you're just excited. Mm. And that's what it felt like. So 
I think being able to race the heat, the rep was like the game changer for us. Which it's actually so uh, funny to, to hear you say that because we just chatted to Kerry and Grace and, you know, they were doubling yeah. up in the pair and the eight. And if they had been in the rep, the pair and the eight was going to be like a huge clash. And they actually don't even, they, they couldn't even answer like what would have happened if they what were they in both those races, what they would yeah. have done. So it's so funny how like the rep was so beneficial to you. And then for them, it was like, you know, a huge kind of question mark. Benefit that also. Yeah. 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 Well, when we lined up against them in the heat, we thought like we knew about them doubling up, obviously. So we wanted to send them through reps because we knew it would put a bit yeah, more stress on make, them. Yeah. Um, but I'm now I'm glad everything worked out the way it did. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure you are. And I mean, I mean, that final in the women's eight, that was, I, I remember watching that final and I just was blown away. You guys. Oh, thanks. I mean, I don't, that performance literally was a performance of lifetime. When people say you guys had a, you know, when people say that, that, that you have a performance of lifetime, when I watched the way you guys raced that race, you went out and straight off the bat, okay, we here to win, secure that uh, gold medal position the whole way down the track. You're just putting yourself, staying in the lead and just keeping that that domination of the gold medal spot. And like, like you said, it wasn't a straightforward race. And, you know, you look at the results sheet and, like, it's been such a fight for the Canadian women's eight, like, trying to get to the top. You know, lots of second places, yeah. lots of thirds. A lot of, I mean, 2019 must have been disappointing coming away with the, the fourth and then here yeah. comes the final and it's like all that energy just got channeled into this this like um, conviction that you guys were going to do it. And I mean, it was a phenomenal performance. I mean, you have to chat to us about blow by blow, how it went down the track. I mean, seeing, seeing when you guys must have been up at a thousand, you must have been like, holy shit, we are going to do this. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's really nice of you to say, first of all. Thank you so much. It's like... Of course. Hearing you say that, I'm like, wait, are you talking about my race? Like, it still just feels so surreal. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's been a long journey for the Canadian Women's Aid. I mean, they've won the last gold medal in 1992, and they've been on the podium a lot since, but um, no golds. And I've been on the team. My first senior team was 2013, and I was just so used to the silver medal, the bronze medal, like the fourth place finish, mm. like that kind of stuff. And so to finally – like, you spend – I've always – believe that we're capable to win and every time we race and come second you're just like oh shoot but you keep that belief keep that belief so when you finally have a race like that we had and 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 win it's like it confirms that you didn't you know you weren't believing in a false thing for 10 years you know like you yeah. were justified in how hard you were working and you were not a fool to think that you could do it and so like that was a big sort of spiritual feeling for me i guess as i was like mm. finally justified in believing that i was good enough that whole time or that we were good enough that whole time but yeah as far as the race it was i mean we expected it to be very very tight i mean both the heat and the rep were very very close finishes and we had like i had a coach that once said it, it's not really the best crew that wins it's the best crew on the day and so i think we we knew that we were fast enough and knew that we were capable of winning, but also knew that any of our competitors could throw down the race of their life and have that day too. And the eight was one of the last races in the regatta. And so we had a chance to really watch all the other events leading into our final. 
And there was always a surprise. There was always like an underdog that came out of nowhere or somebody mm. not making the A final that was like a heavy favorite. Like in almost every event, there was that Cinderella story, if you want to say. Yeah. And I think that's what made us really focus on the first 500 of our race that we didn't want. This sounds kind of brutal, but we wanted to crush dreams early. Like we didn't mm. want to give those other crews a shot at taking away our dream like we had seen in, you know, previous races leading up to ours. And um, so I think, I mean, in, in, it's ra- in an eights race too, it's re- you typically don't see a lot of changing of positions, right? Like, I mean, what's that yeah. saying? Like if you're winning at the 500, you're probably going to win at the finish line, um, which is not always the case, but that was definitely the mentality that we wanted to do we we knew that their strength of our race is that middle thousand like in all Mm. the 2ks and the pieces and stuff leading up to tokyo that was always where whenever we had our debriefs or saw any of our statistics from our races that was always where we were the best so we thought okay if we can really be feisty in the first 500 meters and get off that line quick put ourselves in the position we want to be in we had enough confidence in the middle part of our race to back that up um and then yeah like i said coming from the heat and the rep the big focus for us out of those races was just solidifying our sprint and having that be a bit more effective so it all just like fell into place and it was really awesome and like i said earlier when you feel about clicking and moving and everything going well it almost felt not easy but just like right so yeah. we're coming through the thousand and it was just going really well. And every call that our coxswain made, um, Kristen Kitt, every call that she made, we responded to. And you felt that everyone was just really buying in and doing it. And it was just really special. It was absolutely awesome. But because we'd been rode through in both the heat and the rep by the Romanians and the Kiwis, like, I don't think we ever took it for granted. I think we kept responding and kept pushing because we expected our competitors to come back at us a little bit on the end of the race and make a push for us into the finish line. So even though it was going so well and we were like clicking and doing so well, we didn't ever like think, yeah, okay, we're going to win this because we just always had like an eye on our competitors knowing that they were going to try and push back. So mm. um, it's funny. Some Jeez. of our teammates, like some of the girls in the eight are like, Oh, I, at the 500, I knew that we were going to win. And in my <laughs> head, I'm like, it wasn't until we were in the red buoys that I was like, okay, I feel pretty confident that we can win this <laughs> yeah. because I just never underestimate like a Kiwi sprint or like a Romanian finish or something like that. So in the back of my mind, I was like, it's never enough, never enough. Get as much ground as you can. So that was sort of yeah. at least my mentality. The the rest of the 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 racing for silver, bronze, and those that was flip. Yeah. It was tight, eh? Especially the bronze medal. It was ridiculous. So I mean, it's yeah. it's definitely you know getting out there and kind of like rowing your own race and, and putting yourself in a position yeah. where you are controlling your outcome and you don't have to get into a a, a dogfight because often when you do get into a dogfight mm-hmm. like a, a, a situation like that. It kind of brings the people behind you up as well. It kind of gives them Definitely. a little the, the extra extra motivation they need to to get in front. So, I mean, a real exactly. textbook performance by you guys just to secure that gold medal. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I liked it. I like the bit about uh, talking about crushing everyone early because I mean, especially at the yeah. eight, it's like a, it's emotional. You know, there's a lot of yeah. energy, and if you can get that like mental edge, that advantage, then you can like capitalize on that you can take the energy and you can like really capitalize on the the rest of the team or the rest of the the crews around you and i was watching your race and i was flying out of uh, japan that day 
And I was like, yeah. we were literally on the runway, like taxiing to take off. And I was <laughs> trying to hide my phone from the, the uh, air stairs so I could carry on watching the race. They're like, oh, no, <laughs> I got to get to the end of the race. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was yeah. weird. Our teammates um, were all like the people that were racing the fours and the pairs and all the small boats basically were all in the airport on the way back to Canada also. So we have like, we've heard a lot of funny, you know, yeah. where I was and I saw the race kind of stories. And so it's really mm. funny. And, you know, it, it must be like, obviously, it's fantastic winning the gold medal, but it must be especially mm-hmm. awesome result for you because you were part of the crew in 2016 and oh, it mm-hmm. must have been so disappointing in 2016 coming away with a fifth place finish. And in, in fact, if you look at the 2016 race and the race in Tokyo, especially at the beginning, there are a lot of similarities. Like in 2016, you guys had a flipping blistering start. Uh, yeah. went out took the race by the scruff of the neck and then unfortunately mm-hmm. you just didn't have that second thousand so for to literally have the same thing but this time around you know no one was catching the second thousand so i mean for you it must have been great considering what happened in rio going to tokyo and actually closing that book and saying you know you've learned from your mistakes that's happened and now i've got the gold medal you know the, yeah. the cherry cherry on the on the top to finish it off. I mean, it must have been great comparing those two regattas with each other. Yeah, it is. It's, it felt like a very sweet redemption. I mean, you described it perfectly, but I think that's probably why I was one of the athletes that didn't feel comfortable in our 2k in Tokyo until the end, because I've Mm. been in that position where you're up like almost half a boat length, you know, coming into the thousand meter of your Olympic final. And I've been rowed through before and um, myself and two other, uh, Lisa Roman and Suzanne Granger were in the, were the people that had um, raced in Rio as well. And we just kept saying that to our, to each other. Like it almost fueled me the entire quadrennial to be fair. Like I was, I will never be up at the thousand and get rode through again. Like that, that was crushing. <laughs> I mm. think the mistake that, that I made, at least that we made as a crew, but I specifically made in, in, um, Rio was we got up and things are going well and then people start pushing and people start reacting and and you know trying to fight for their spots on the podium and um we I think we crumbled under that pressure or we kind of lost momentum and so this time in my head I was like that's fine push take a seat take one seat that's cool don't fall apart keep it together and so I feel like now that I got I have a medal I would, that we won and I have the gold medal, I'm so thankful for what happened in Rio because I don't mm. think it would have I don't think my mindset would be the same and I don't think I would have had that same fuel um and mind state and motivation going into Tokyo had that, you know, like heartbreaking performance in Rio not happened. So it's a, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's so interesting to yeah. to hear you talk about it because you know, like we also like we had a, a pretty disappointing regatta now and it's like mm-hmm. kind of trying to, you know, understand it and trying to like take the the positive side of of, you know, the, ex- the experience and trying to learn and, yeah. and like adjust. And, you know, mm-hmm. so many athletes that we've spoken to have, you know, these heartbreaking uh, stories or yeah. heartbreaking parts of their career where they just have, you know, not managed to execute what they knew they could. And then yeah. like, always to turn it around. And, you know, sport is such a uh kind of it's so brutal but then that's also what provides the the glory and the and the beauty yeah. of it at the end of the day because when you get it right then it means so much more mm. yeah it's crazy how i mean it makes sense but it's just crazy how we evaluate 
our entire journey based on the performance at the end of it, you know? And I think that that was like a big learning lesson for me from Rio is that I had a pretty good journey leading up and and a lot of things went well, but we underperformed and at the Olympics. And um, then I let the result define, like I just saw the entire journey as a failure and it Mm. was really weird. I actually went back to Jamaica after Rio also. And, um, didn't know if I wanted to come back to rowing or not, honestly, because I was just afraid of that heartbreak again. And so it changed like that sort of concept changed my entire viewpoint on high performance sport and racing at the Olympics. And I said to myself, like a result is not guaranteed. There are thousands of athletes that are going to go to Tokyo and only a handful are going to walk away with a medal. But like, how can I make it so that even if I come dead last, I walk away with my head held high because I didn't do that in Rio, you know? And I was like, winning the race was obviously my bigger my goal but Mm. my bigger goal was just like performing to my potential and doing the best race that I could and being able to walk away regardless of the result and still see worth in what I'd put in Um, Mm. and so it's 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 unbelievable how like an underperformance or a heartbreaking result can really just change your entire perspective on sport like it's really it's crazy yeah yeah of course um you know those those hard lessons are are super important to learn. I mean, if we all the time we speak to uh, all the, the top athletes and stuff, there's always, you know, a common element of some sort of um, really difficult time that, you know, obviously yeah. has a lot of meaning and, a, and a, a lot of lessons that you can't really learn. I mean, if you're being honest, you can't, there's no, there's no realm where in other spheres of your life that you can kind of go through something like what happened to you in, in, in Rio and learn Mm -hmm. from the experience because there's, there's nothing else that really mimics that. So, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, you learn a lot from going through those experiences with, within, um, in Rio and, you know, I'm interested to, you know, just moving forward. Like Mm -hmm. one thing I noticed about, uh, when I looked at your results, there's been a lot of like mixing around in the different boat classes, like between, you know, Mm -hmm. especially with the four and the pair. And then obviously post Rio, what was the, did you guys ever consider, you know, going into the four and making that kind of like the, the focus boat? I'm not quite sure how it worked in the, in the Canadian system because it definitely seemed like that might might have been on the cards at some stage too. Yeah. Well, I mean, leading up to Rio, the eight was always the priority. There was really no um, mm. question mark there, I think. Like we had an eight and a pair in that competed in 2016, but it was always the eight was the priority boat. And then the four being introduced as an Olympic event definitely changed the whole dynamic um, on the team. And the we had a women's pair with Kaylee Filmer and Hillary um, Jensen's that was quite su- successful, the Squadronio, and they won the Worlds in 2018 and have been on the podium since. And um, the way that we kind of handled it in Canada, and I think the pandemic sort of helped, not helped, but facilitated this um, in the last year because... We couldn't train as an entire squad anymore due to the um, restrictions that we had. Mm. And so they broke the entire squad up into subgroups and we trained under our coaches at different times so that we never cross paths and that kind of thing. So the pair um, got separated from us and started training in a small boats group. Um, And then we were training under our coach, Michelle Darville, um, as a women's sweep group as a whole. And we knew that the women in that group were going to fill the eight and the four, but that it wasn't like they hadn't set in stone, which boat would be the priority yet. Um, 
And we did a lot of training in fours. Like most of our training is done in pairs and fours leading up to the Olympics. And so I think like in moving lineups around and changing things up, I think our high performance staff was like always looking to see if there was a four combination that was a standout. Um, Mm. But it was just pretty clear that the eight was always going to be our, I think our best shot at, at, at a medal. Um, And that seemed to be sort of the case throughout the whole quadrennial. So like we had a bit of momentum coming off of each world championships and stuff like that. So I think there was probably more likelihood of it being the eight, but it was never set in stone that the eight was going to be the priority instead of the four. Um, And yeah, we did our selection pretty late in the year also. So nobody really knew what boat they were going to be in until a few (laughs) months before the Olympics anyways. Yeah. So obviously COVID is, is a huge yeah. disruption to, to everyone's year and, you know, the, the postponement of the games. How did you like keep the competition in the team, especially if you're training now at different times and, you know, the, the, the team is mm-hmm. split up and you're not traveling anywhere to race. Uh, so yeah. like where did the kind of competitive element of your training, how did that fit in? Yeah, I think that that was like a very critical piece that RCA Run Canada recognized very early as some like a a void we were going to need to fill or figure out a way to compensate for that. Um, So there were two ways that kind of stick out in my mind. The first was we had a series of um, we called them like RCA race series basically. So they were just like a little regatta that was put on by our high performance staff. And any time that there was like international, I think they happened like every two months, we would drive up to um, a town about an hour away from Victoria, BC, where a base called Duncan and race on a 2K course up there. And we would almost have like a, an internal regatta. So it was a way that we could simulate, like we would simulate when World Cup one was happening, we simulated that, but just at home racing against like speeds, like speed boats in our program. Um And then I think we just got really lucky in my training group because there was so much depth and so much competition within the girls that I was training with. Like you had to bring that A game and we had an extremely competitive training environment in a very healthy way. I think everybody handled it really well and it was definitely no, it wasn't personal and and we were able to operate with a very high culture, I think. But that competitiveness that we had just to make the boats was I think enough to fuel that. And um, we did selection for, we're kind of going through an ongoing selection for a few months actually, um, which was definitely stressful to go through. I I'm think sure. it was yeah. at the time felt brutal. You know, you're like, oh, we're seat racing again, seat racing again, we're rechecking this result, blah, 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 blah. But at the time it felt like, why are we still seat racing? But now looking back, I'm so thankful that we did because it really kept us in tune with that racing feeling. And I think that gave us a lot of confidence going into Tokyo. Like everybody that I lined up in the boat with, I'm like, I know what I had to go through to get this seat. And I know what you had to go through to get your seat. And I knew that we would have that competitiveness um, based on how our coach sort of modeled our selection and our training year. So I mean, nothing will ever replicate international racing. No. It was, and especially in the eight, it's such a loud event. Um, Like even just hearing other coxswains, like the Chinese crew is um, 
notoriously loud to race next to. Very vocal, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I remember in the heat, like having a conscious thought about 300 meters in, like, damn, this is loud. Like, this is a very <laughs> loud situation, you know, mm. which is like, I knew that because I've raced them before, but it just it slips your mind until you're in it, you know, that kind of thing. So but I mean, that that was the that was the big dilemma, you know, for for this mm. year, it was like, you know, no one, especially the continental crews, like no one, no one's yeah. got the the racing experience so it was like you know what simulations and what what um things can you do to kind of like try and recreate yeah. the effect and uh it for especially like the women's eight like the continental element in the women's eight is such is is where the 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 top players yeah. li- lie i mean new zealand australia canada and usa and it's historically those are yeah. all big names coming into 2021 so yeah. I think we got lucky that, yes, we didn't have race experience, but we were in an event where our top competitors were in the same situation. Yeah. So I don't think that you could say the same for like the women's pair, for example, or a double or even the fours. Like there's lots of mm. like at the World Cups, there's still a handful of people from that event that are getting that race experience. But in the eight, I mean, other than the GB women and the and the women that had to go through last chance qualifier, like we were all in the same boat as far as the lack of racing. So in a way that made me, I think I would have been a lot more stressed out about it if we were at home, not racing, but like, you know, New Zealand and America were off at World Cup too. Like, that that would have probably made me a little more uneasy. No, for sure. And yeah, I mean, like it's, 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 it was an interesting part of this year. And like often it was, especially it was frustrating to watch like a lot of the events in the women's eight was just so Mm -hmm. like, it was such a different vibe because there was no yeah. firstly like you you're not even you can't even fill up a full event like the world cups which is so frustrating to see and yeah and just knowing it's like a spectator someone invested in the sport it is it is frustrating and it's just like interesting to know that like you know the big players in this event are are actually not even here sitting at home yeah um so i mean it was such a weird vibe going into the games and like not no one's racing and then the racing at the games was unbelievable. I mean, it was just a crazy situation. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Oh, everyone came to play. Like everybody came to play. I remember like, yeah, I think that led into why we were so feisty off the line because we were just like, everyone's like, it's going to be a very, very high level race. I don't know if you guys saw, um, the women's eight race in 2017 in Sarasota, Florida. Mm. And the final I that's think, where Romania took closest. Romania won that yeah, yeah. Romania won and yeah. we came second but the whole field just, like we were within yeah, was very one seat of each other the whole way down and I I remember just being like this is intense like there's a different vibe of racing when it's literally like stroke for stroke like it was crazy and I yeah. was expecting like I told myself going into the Tokyo final like it's going to be like Sarasota expecting yeah and so um and then yeah, and then on know. top of the on top of the like competitiveness of the field the weather was also like really difficult you know it was tough conditions i mean you really spoke yeah. about the, the rep being like so fast and you know really tricky and the conditions tra- changed down the track you know in the start you have that crosswind and it's yep. like big swell and then as you go down the track a little bit more tail and like really quick and then mm-hmm. can be really rough at the at the finish line how was the like technical element of uh your week of racing and you know, what is the focus technically for that uh, first 500? Because obviously you're trying to get that that boat speed up, but, you know, there's also, you don't want to, like, there's lots of crews are making mistakes and, you know, yeah. it was eventful. Yeah, mm. like I remember um, the day of our rep with the really, really strong tailwind, because we were racing one of the last races in the day, we were sitting up in the, 
athlete lounge area just killing time between our pre-row and our race and they have all the tvs in there that you can watch the racing on and we were just and i don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing because we were just you know kind of sitting there with your headphones on you're just like watching people in their olympic semifinals like catching crabs and missing out or like and i was just like okay okay don't be freaking out like don't be nervous but (laughs) Mm. i was like holy like it was multiple crews that were really like having a hard time with the conditions and I knew that in a bigger boat, we're a little bit less affected than you would be in like a lightweight men's double, for example. But I think that when we went into the rep, that was in the back of my mind. I was like, these are very, very fast conditions, but people are catching crabs. People are flipping. Like, this is insane yeah. Like to have that challenging of conditions. And I think that's why Romania was able to row through us in the last 500, because we were just rowing so carefully. Like, we were too yeah. afraid to be risky and mess up. Um and maybe not as ballsy for lack of better words. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Like handling that was like the conditions were a huge aspect of our, like, you know, race meetings and our prep and our focus and how can we adapt, not adapt, but how can we fo- like what areas of our folk or of our stroke can we focus on that will um, like play to the conditions. So, I mean, we were really, we've been really working on our catches um, for the little bit of time leading up to the game. So it felt like kind of fitting that in those tailwinds conditions, we were just like, quick catch, quick catch, don't hang on too long, like that kind of thing. Um, But our coxswain did a really good job of like always keeping us aware of, you know, the environment that we were in or like we talked a lot about, okay, when we, the first 500 is going to feel like this. And when we get through the middle 500, expect this. And at the finish and during our warm up, we tried to be very aware of what the conditions were like at different sections of the warm up mm. course. That we were yeah. really on top of that. But yeah, it was weird. I think the conditions played a huge role in what ended up happening. Massive. Yeah. Um, no, it was it massive. Was, it was crazy. Yeah. It's also like, I think it shows the, the level of skill as well. Cause I mean, you're saying the eight is, is more stable. Yes. But I mean, it's, it's yeah. also the fastest boat. So everything is moving yeah. the, the quickest. And, you know, we saw the other fast boats, like the quad made, there were so many mistakes, but actually yeah. in the eight race, actually in the guys and uh women's eight race, there, there were very little mistakes happening uh, down the track. You know, it was probably one of the fields where, you know, the, the least yeah. mistakes were, were made. So I think it just shows the the level of skill that the the crews had to be able yeah. to go that fast and and still put out that that huge performance. I think for us, it, like being able to see this sounds terrible, but being able to see the crews that raced before us having such a hard time in those conditions was probably what led us to really be careful. Um, and so I don't know if that happened with other eights, maybe in the men's eight, but I think like by being able to be last in the regatta, we really like you don't want to be the first or second crew that's like oh shoot this is like, you got to be careful here, you know, like we could learn from the races that had happened before us. At least that's what happened with our eight. So, mm. you know, another, another element that I'd love to chat to you about was like, obviously you can't speak about the women's eight event without, you know, acknowledging the, the dominance that America's had, you know, from, you know, 2005, like 10 years all the way up until 2016. And, you know, obviously there was such a big player in 2016 and obviously they still are now, but, you know, a lot of things changed and this cycle, like in the women's eight, they've been, including the Olympics, the three world champions and the Olympics has been a different country winning each event. So it's opened yeah. up like crazy. And I'm sure like how did that, you know, what what was the reaction like from you guys? It must have been like, you know, great. You know, there's, there's suddenly now it's, it's a way more open field 
but it's almost like it almost intensified the fighting because now everyone is trying to put their hands up. And it, and it was really interesting yeah. both class to watch because you had Romania, New Zealand, USA, and then now you guys at the Olympics. So, so many people to watch. So what was it like knowing yeah. that there are multiple crews rocking up to the line and it can have a standout performance? It's amazing. I mean, I think you put it really well. I think as soon as Romania won the World Championships in 2017, I think it kind of gave life to other programs being like, okay, the field is back on the table. Like it's anyone's game. And it was, I think it's a different, it's it, as an athlete who was a part of the lead up to 2016, where we were, you know, the U S were always winning everything. And we were always the bridesmaids, like always coming second and mm. every race you go for it. And then they beat you. And then in my head, you're kind of like, oh, I was a fool to think that that, that otherwise, you know, that kind of defeated feeling. And then, it was a different vibe for sure. Exactly how you described like leading up to Tokyo with so much change and who was on the podium, not only who was winning, but who was in the lower medals as well. Like yeah. it was, um, there was a lot of play, but I think it made it so much more exciting because I mean, no one likes a race when you're at the start line and there's like a, you know, 90% chance one crew is going to win. I think it's much more exciting. And I, no, much I think more I have a lot more respect for my teammates and stuff when we're all going for, the same thing um it's not personal we all want to win and so i mean i just found it much more exciting and it was definitely amazing to see i think like the rotation in our event was awesome like it's Mm. i think but that being said we never took our eyes off of the u.s ever i mean i think the amount of talent and um sort of tradition and history in that (laughs) on that team like I always just said, like, even if they come last, never count them out. You know, like they're, no, of they're course. amazing women. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy that we won. I never wish ill upon anybody, but I do think it was, it's time. It was time for that change yeah. to happen. I think it yeah. was time for the, per, for the event to get a bit of life into it because, I mean, I think it starts to die when everyone just sort of thinks like, oh, the gold medal is accounted for. You don't see the investment in the event quite as much. And so definitely happened once the u.s were like for lack of a better word on dethroned um in 2017 so mm. so yeah. uh talking about like the competitiveness and the the difficulty of of getting it right mm-hmm. on the day like how do you you know I, I mean we come from a small boat nation where we're always mm-hmm. in in pairs maybe yeah. four you know we never race in the in the eight how do you build the trust between you know nine p nine people in the boat to you know to be able to to pull out your your best performance on the day when it counts yeah, that's a really good question. And I think I've been in some eights that get that right. And I've been in some eights that we haven't quite nailed that quite as much. For me, I think I gain the most um, sort of trust and confidence in my teammates when I respect what they had to do to gain the seat in the boat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think you just like we're in this training environment where you're seeing people day in and day out, you're observing their actions and how they're you know, carrying themselves. And I don't think it's any coincidence that people end up where they end up in boats once selection has happened. And I think Mm. that at least in our aid in Tokyo, there was like a massive respect from every athlete to every athlete to get into that boat in the first place. Like I'm completely confident that we had the best stroke for the job and the best seven seat for the job. And then once you have that level of respect, I think it, it really changes 
um, it, you take the ego out of it. You know, like one person can't can't move the boat. Um, in fact, one person going rogue will slow the boat down. And so mm. um, I think our coach did a really good job. Also, Michelle Darville did a really good job of just always focusing on the team culture and the open communication. And um, instead of sort of nagging on people's weaknesses, highlighting what people's strengths were. And I think in an eight, when you're dealing with eight rowers plus a coxswain, that's vital to know what you're bringing to the table, but also know what the people around you are bringing to the table. And I think once you get that respect and confidence going, then it's that's I think that's how you get that big boat on the same page, if that makes sense. Going on on that is like what like especially for for your your crew in 2021, what is the role Mm -hmm. of like the cocks for you guys in the eight? And then, yeah. you know, like, cause we kind of, you know, we, we only raced the eight, like once, uh, internationally yeah. and it was just kind of, kind of scratch crew and we Madness. threw like an Italian, let me throw an Italian <laughs> in, the, in the cox. We had Italian team. cox, but I was making the calls from the four seats. I was calling yeah. the race from the four seat and blatantly lying to my crew after seeing how badly we got dropped saying, guys, we're still in it. We're moving. And we got right out the blocks. We were. We were pretty decent in the second thousand, but yes, it's the stroke from the stroke start. eight to twenty, we got destroyed, absolutely decimated. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. true. Like, I mean, in any boat, I think you have to all be on the same page. So, if something's going right, you have to all be thinking the same thing. But if something's going wrong, you have to all be thinking what the same solution is to fix it. And so, that's definitely harder to get in the eight when it starts going downhill. I think that's why in the big boats, when it starts going downhill, it's pretty hard to switch and start going back up yeah. again but that's mm. so funny that's a funny story yeah <laughs> but yeah i think our coxswain i mean she was it was a bit of a different dynamic i was in the eight when leslie thompson willie was our coxswain and she's been to like eight olympics is yeah, and, a legend um, she's sort of a legend in the yeah. sport she's an amazing coxswain but your dynamic off of the water was is slightly different because i mean she was I'll just say a little bit older than us. I won't Mm. um, say what her age is. But um, with Kristen, um, this time I felt much more of like a teammate vibe from her. I mean, the coxswain always has to be the middleman between the rower and the coach. I think they sort of operate. Yes, they're an athlete and yes, they're in the boat, but they're also sometimes privileged to information that we don't know or they're, they're just like playing that middleman a little bit more. Mm. Um, and I think Kristen did a really, really good job of being able to be that person for our coach, but also always maintain that level of like, I'm wanting you guys, I'm an athlete too. Um, so that was a huge, you know, and she, she just did such a good job of like mm-hmm. always knowing what to say to each person to get like that special performance yeah. out of us. So, you know, cause it's like, it's one thing on race day, you know, there's like already that set plan down the track, you yeah. know, there's only so yeah. much you can change in the race but i mean the the coxswains exactly. make a huge difference in training and in like and as you say being that middleman between the exactly. team and the and the coach and kind of playing that dynamic and making sure that you're always squeezing the the best out of out of the crew yeah exactly like she just yeah she's got to execute i mean the pressure is on her to execute the training sessions you know when we're in the eight like she's making the calls running the stopwatch feeling for technique like doing all of it it's a very big job and sometimes i we, we were joking sometimes it's easy for us we just have to go out and do the work which like is hard in itself but it's simple um yes. and so like yeah it's, it's very weird yeah. but 
at the same time, that level of control that you get when you're in a four and a pair and you're bowing or, you, you know, that that gets removed when you're in the eight, you know, you're just sort of like one cog in the machine versus I think in the small boats, the beauty of that is that you're, you've got a lot more control over what's going on. I think yeah, yeah. individually, that's what I find at least. And then, yeah. So, so Christine, we, we've kind of introduced now after speaking to a couple, you know, a couple of people in the eights, we've kind of introduced these, these questions, they're almost an extension of our quick five questions at the end of the, the interview. We have these questions that we just ask about, like, you know, the rest of the crew in your boat. So mm-hmm. to to start with the first one. Um, answer them answer them however you want. But then if there's like a story in it, then you can like, uh, yeah. can okay. dig in it. Oh my God, Christine, don't get in trouble. <laughs> you know, we, we bought them in when we, we chatted to Adam Creek from the, you know, the Beijing yeah. Canadian eights. And then we bought in these questions because yeah. we were like, there's, there was, we had so many questions about the eight and that eight specifically. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So the, the first one is who is the strongest person in the eight? Oh, well, right off the bat, I feel like a bit of, I think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Selfless thing. Usually people yeah. deflect that oh, answer. No. Pulling, pulling that the one. <laughs> no, I think this the eight as a whole is definitely like combined the strongest girls that I've ever rode with, but I think like pound for pound on the erg. I think that would be me. I think that's fair because you know, you sat in the three seat and Hamish Bond sat in the three mm-hmm. seat and those uh you know that's the the clearly the yeah. most important seat of the eight yeah. uh for especially Well for he Tokyo. called me up the night before, you know. Hey Christine, what are you thinking? Can you give me some advice? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> He's a bit of a legend, isn't he? No, absolutely. For sure. No. Jake Jake no. Jake has a man crush on him, actually. Oh, I have a girl crush on it. <laughs> no, I just, no, the reason is because, uh, Lawrence, we, we often have conversations who we think is the greatest of all time. And I, I, yeah. I, I think Hamish is the best. And then Lawrence thinks that Sir Stephen Redgrave is the best. And yeah, so the argument Ooh. starts from there. Wow. I like them both, yeah. but you can't argue that what, like Hamish's success in the pair and then being able to sort of rally, I don't know what was happening behind the scenes, but the success that the Kiwi men's aid had, like, I don't no, think crazy. that was a coincidence that he was there. No. So that's like, you got to bow down to that also, I think. Of course. For sure. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. So then on the, back to the, back to the eight, then uh, to change yeah. the tack, then who, <laughs> who is the, the funniest person in the crew? Like who's the, the joker amongst uh, the crew? And, and also what's the, how, are there a lot of jokes in the eight or is it uh, quite serious on the water? Oh, that's me. No, just kidding. I was like, I'm just going to say me for everything. Um, yeah, actually, we, it was annoying. Sometimes we like couldn't stop laughing. Like we would be like, we'd have to be like, okay, girls, we need to really focus in now. And I think that's part of why we do so well because it is a relaxed, fun environment to be around. Um, but I mean, yeah, everyone is so funny. I don't know how I would pinpoint a couple, but I know Avalon, who stroked, and Kit would sometimes just like be saying jokes back and forth to each other on water breaks and stuff. And being kind of closer to the bow, I couldn't really hear what Avalon was saying, but all I could hear was what Kit would say into the microphone. So you're sort of getting like a one way conversation and hearing them both cracking up. And so, yeah, I think we we're all pretty funny, but probably Avalon and Kit were at least the funniest to themselves. 
Yeah. That reminds me, like something you, you said earlier was like, it's hard. Uh, it's not that complicated. And I think that's so important for rowing is like, it's not actually yeah. that complicated. You just have to like no. put yourself out there, suffer and like commit to like the hardness of rowing. Yeah. And then that's where like that relaxation and the jokes and stuff need to come in because you can't be like super serious and then trying to do this super hard yeah. training. and, and Otherwise just, it'd be miserable. <laughs> yeah. would be the worst. You're doing this really hard thing and you're not having fun doing it. Like why are yeah. you doing it then? That's always my theory, I guess, you know, you're going to have yeah. those days, but I'm talking like in general, it needs to be fun. I think for sure. Yeah. So the next one is um, who, who trains the hardest in the crew? Who is, who comes across as like the most hardcore mindsets, the, the hardest trainer, the most committed who was that person in yeah. the, the Canadian one set? It's funny. I think, in my opinion, like the hardest working on our team are usually like the quiet ones. Like they just put their head down and get out there and work really hard. And I would have to say, um, I think Suzanne Granger was like pretty hardworking. You know, like she always dug deep and gave it her all. Um, but she didn't really do it very vocally sometimes. Like she mm. would be more action oriented. Um, versus, well, and I, I was going to say that I'd also share this with, um, I think Lisa Roman, our bow seat is also just like one tough cookie. Like she was always digging deep and working hard, but maybe not as quiet about it as Suzanne was, but yeah, probably Suzanne and Lisa. Awesome. Yeah. Must be, must be great having those. I mean, I know just from like, you know, just from rowing, when you have those kind of people that are just like such, um, you know, driven people and just have that underlying commitment not that other people have yeah. don't have the commitment but it's just like you know some guys you know we've been talking about like the jokers and whatnot everyone's got like their different personalities but it's always nice rocking up to the racing line and you know that you've got those kind of personalities in the boat yeah. because often like when i you know when the nerves come along it's always nice having the trust to know that the other people in the yeah. boat have, have got the, the metal to really do it i think on our program as a whole hillary jansen's who raced in our pair I think she is like that exact thing that you just described, like that respect for just how hard she can grind. Like I remember we would do some like long ergs, like let's say you're doing a 90 minute erg and I know she's suffering and I know she's not comfortable, but she'll never, or she very rarely shows it and she'll never quit and just like always grinding. And it's just like, I don't know, that's, I, I wish sometimes most times if i'm working hard you know i'm working hard versus mm. i have a lot of respect for people that can grind and work hard but are just like they don't need any attention for it you know it's pretty cool mm. yeah 100 what were you no, gonna say lawrence I, I feel like i cut you off just there i know and then i actually forgot what i was gonna say so don't worry no, i'm sure it'll, <laughs> no. it'll come back it'll come back to me yeah. at uh, at some point then the our next one is like you know, there's always the joker, then there's like the serious people in the boat, and then there's mm. always one person who is late. Who was the, the person yeah. that was That's always uh, running late? Avalon, easy. Question, no. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like you have to be like, when you get to the meeting, you just subconsciously, you're just like, oh, Avalon's not here. Like, oh, we're good. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, love her, love her. She's yeah. very talented. <laughs> But she's definitely the one if we're operating as a group and we know we have to be on time. There's always someone that's got tabs on where Avalon is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's funny because you're like, we, we digging into your crew and it's like, oh, but this, everyone, you, you, you obviously have, I mean, everyone is an Olympic champion now. You know, it's, it's know. everyone has, has done the, the job together and they've done the, yeah. the journey. And I think that's what's like funny about talking about these kind of things because at the end of the yeah, day, so everyone different. did their, 
their piece and it's uh it's just yeah. fun to to hear the dynamics between uh between the crew mm -hmm. definitely so you know the next question is like i i like this one it's a bit of a silly one but i always find like you know especially when the eight there's always so many egos in the boat and it's it's just a, it's just an interesting one to talk about you know if mm -hmm. if everyone in the eight had to get had to get into the ring and fight who would come out on top oh i physically fight well i mean yeah probably probably kasha tasha Oh, it's hard because everyone just is like slightly feisty in a different way i think yeah. you know but i i'm trying to think of who i would want to the least fight the most <laughs> you know? yeah like oh, i think i could probably take her blah, blah, blah. but yeah i wouldn't want to fight kasha i think she is very tough and um she like really emerged as like a very good leader even though she doesn't have as much experience as a lot of people in the boat she very quickly like assumed a leadership position in an amazing way um mm. and she's like extremely strong like freaky strong not as strong as me but she's freaky strong yeah <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um yeah i would not i think she would probably beat everybody else up yeah oh i was I remember what I was gonna what I was gonna say is because um, mm -hmm. we're talking about like how important it is for like the team to bring the best out of each other, and I think we saw it the yeah. most in COVID. You know, when we spent time yeah. away from the team, how awful training, like at least for us, you know, training yeah. by ourselves was like just a complete grind. And then as soon as we started doing the like team stuff again, it was like, oh, this is why we love rowing. This is why we yeah. why we are part of this uh, this sport. Mm. Yeah, I completely 100%. agree. It's brutal because everything. Anything that you can't, that you lack or maybe struggling bringing to the table, someone else is like crushing it. So you've mm. got, I feel like you've got all your bases covered when everyone's involved, but when it's just you on your own, it's so. Yeah. I definitely strive a lot off of like, bring a lot of motivation off of being in a team environment, being around a lot of people. So training on my yeah. own was tough. How long were you guys like, what was your, when uh, did you guys Joey. get separated for a long time? Yeah, we did like, um, we did six weeks, I think of, actual like Proper. isolation where we yeah. where we just trained at home and then we we did some stuff on like zoom and uh you know online uh training together just to keep the routine the going hurts. kind of jeez that it was, was horrible oh man it was awful oh horrible was really awful oh my god they, i remember the first time we were like yeah let's let's have a zoom call where we're all erging on the zoom call and we we're thinking like there's no way i'm gonna do that and after like two ergs on your own you're like yep let's jump on zoom <laughs> it's so weird Mm, and then our, like it was our coaches like trying to coach us in the first time and we had to like keep having to stop and listen like you're like i can't hear anything once the ergo's going there's no sound i can't I hear know, what you're it's saying brutal. it's brutal oh. you just kind of look over at the screen every now and then and like see if everyone else is still going okay, okay. for me like yeah. what really helped is Crazy. like just keeping the routine making sure like okay yeah. cool, ergo starts at 7 or 7 30 and definitely like, and i'm up and, and ready to go whereas otherwise i found I'm, the like, same thing I think we're so used to structure. Yeah. We do training on our own over Christmas time as well. And then mm -hmm. I'm the worst. I'll be like, cool. I'll just train when I get up. <laughs> then I will get up. And yeah. I'll be like, oh, you know, I just have some coffee, breakfast. Like, I'll train a little bit later. And then, like, you get into the middle of the day and you're like, yes, I still have like two sessions or three sessions to do today. Like, <laughs> I need to get going. Otherwise, I'm going to be training in the middle of the I'm night. The same. Oh, my. Well, even like, so it's 11 o'clock my time when we started this. And I was like, oh, I'll go for a run before. And then the alarm goes <laughs> off and it's like, uh. 
I can still squeeze in the run if I go at nine. And then I started watching this show and got sucked. Anyway, needless to say, I haven't done my run yet, but I have like all these excuses and other times in the day that I can do it. And I'm not going to do it when that time comes yeah. either. It's so weird. But if yeah. I put a bit of routine into something like every day at 10 o'clock, you do whatever it is, then that I found that really helpful. Then you stop like pushing things off, you know? But yeah. The, the only problem with the, the routine thing was, is that uh, we were starting, I don't know. I think we we're starting training at seven. These guys yeah. live in Joburg. I I live in the mountains in South Africa where it gets flipping cold. And not as cold as Canada, but it gets bloody cold. And because yeah. where I stay in our house, the sun only starts hitting our house at oh, like no. quarter to eight. So it's still yeah. like negative degrees when everyone's supposed to start training. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting on an ergo and it's <laughs> minus three degrees, guys. This is not happening. <laughs> so deliberately oh, every time I would be as late as i could all the time because oh, i like that's i brutal. cannot get Jake, on the ergo when it's that cold you're not gonna get sympathy from christine she's wrote in canada oh, like no, yeah i know i have sympathy <laughs> i'm the one that like if it's cold you know i'm cold like i hate being cold I, well, I, I can also imagine hate being really hot but yeah. i also hate being really cold that's brutal they couldn't even sleep in an hour for you wait for you to warm <laughs> up a little yes yeah, jake often often his zoom uh video was off for a bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> tactically <laughs> that was actually that's that was one of uh the things i wanted to ask was like because you grew up in jamaica mm -hmm. like literally yeah. paradise and then you moved to canada where mm -hmm. it's freezing and like yeah. how was that must be winter training for you yeah. must, that must be brutal must be awful oh my gosh well i had like a uh, well, okay. So I grew up in Jamaica and then when I was 13 years old, I went to boarding school in the States and that's where I was introduced to rowing. I had no idea what it was growing up, but I went to a boarding school in Connecticut and they have a nice winter there. Like a nice as in like a solid winter, not nice as in it's pleasant. Like it is very cold. <laughs> okay. And, um, and I remember my first couple summers there or first couple winters there being like, this is this is madness. Like at first when you see snow, you're like, Oh, it's so pretty. It's so nice. And then it's just freezing all the time. And I think mm. I went through, I went to UVA for university. So by the time I'd moved to Canada, I'd been in the States for like eight years, sort of figuring okay. out what this winter thing was. But that being said, we trained in Ontario before the 2016 Olympics. And then now we're in, and then trained in BC before the Tokyo games. And, uh, yeah, the BC climate, even though it's a little bit wetter and rains more, it is so much more pleasant than like, you know, snow, minus 20, everything's frozen. Like, oh my God, the minus 20. Awful. Jake, I minus 20. I don't even yeah, think I've, I haven't been anywhere. No. There's no but way in South Africa that gets to minus 20 in the year. I feel like <laughs> it's almost, I think you want it to either be like really, really cold or pleasant because the sort of unfortunate thing about being in BC, now I'm just like complaining, but um, <laughs> once it gets cold enough that all the lakes are frozen and it's like extremely clear that training outside is not possible, then you just like pack up and you do what we did a lot of mm. rigging and any of the rowing that we needed to do, we would have to go to Florida or California on training camps and stuff. In BC, it's so cold, but it's just cold enough that you could still be outside oh, and it's no. like pouring, you know what I mean? But it's like not no, cold enough no. that you definitely yeah. can't ruin it. So like, it's a bit of, a bit of both. I, I can yeah. find a way to complain about either one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'll you... take heat. I'll take heat any day, yeah. any day. No, I'm the How same. did you find I... the heat in Tokyo? No, it was oh, chilled. It was the heat wasn't bad at I all. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, what? we were expecting I, worse. Also, like, um, we had been training at a, a at a cold, it was our winter when we were in South Africa and we were yeah. training in this bubble in the mountains close to where Jake lives and it was freezing. And that's when I decided yeah. I can't do the cold and oh. I will <laughs> never complain about the heat ever again in my life because but, I'll take the heat over the cold. I have yeah, to say, wow. the, well, the problem... The problem with Lawrence is that he sits in the bar of the four and he would constantly get splashed. Every session I, he came back and Lawrence is literally with beanies, ear protectors, the buff, like literally this oak is just cruising around with his eyes out and he's complaining every after every session. He's like, dude, I fucking hate getting wet. Constantly getting splashed. Listen, it's, oh, I'm with you on that one. It's freezing and the stroke will never get it. You know, no. they're sitting up there just like, the only thing that's making them wet is their sweat, you know? It's a different ball game. No, the yeah. getting splashed. You know, there was one point I was rowing in like waterproof pants because I was like, I can't like <laughs> to sit in wet kit in this much cold and like, oh, it was so awful. I, like, I never ever want to do that training again. That was we rowed a lot of mixed lineups like all year through the winter too. We're rowing in mixed lineups quite a bit. So every time we get down to the boathouse, there's like a new four sign up up and there's four fours across or whatever it is. And I remember like when it's really, really cold, you're kind of like praying that the person sitting in front of you in your lineup for that day isn't a splasher, you know? You're like, oh no, I got to <laughs> roll behind the girl with the bad backsplash today. Like this is going to be brutal. Or sometimes like if you were the one stroking the boat, you were like, oh, thank gosh. Okay. I'm yeah. It's cold today. Yeah. Jake, so Jake is the splasher. If you sit behind Jake. Yeah, I'm oh. just, notorious, the notorious splasher. I almost made John Smith quit in 2017. <laughs> 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 Oh, shit. oh man! Yeah, it's brutal. also you I've sat that out, buddy. I'm usually yeah, sat in the stroke good. seat, and then it's it's so mm. blazing up there. You're just like living the good yeah. life, dry, yeah. and then in the back and getting wet all the time. It's too much. Yeah, then, but then you get to tell them what to do, so it's a give and take. Yeah, mm. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, depends. Just and actually, it was fine when it's like when it's warm, and you just like then it doesn't matter. You don't even yeah. notice it. Yeah, but when it's exactly. Cold, it's, but uh, when you're cold, yeah, brutal. The, yeah. I want to ask, like, is there like a, a single session or, a, you know, a day that you remember from, like, if you look back at this year's training that you were like, oh, mm -hmm. my God, that day was like outrageously hard or like that's the, the a memorable day from uh, training this year? Well, like uh, a session that really sticks out for me was, um, I don't even remember when it, when it was, but I knew we were like new to having officially selected the eight. So like I said, we had a very long selection process. Yeah. And um, so we sort of decided a couple seat, like most of the seats were decided, but then we're still seat racing to figure out one or two seats. Da, da, da. So at this point, we had finally fully selected all eight seats. And so we were doing our training and we went up to this um, lake on Vancouver Island called Shawnigan Lake. And we did it's a long uh, I think you can row 7K without having to turn around. So it's a good lake to go up and do like longer sessions that don't need so much spinning. And um, Michelle, our coach, had us doing all out 500 meter pieces, but didn't tell us how many we were going to end up doing. And I think it was like 500 on a minute off kind of thing. And you just stop when she says stop. And we ended up doing 16 of them. And I was like, and I, in my head, I'm like, oh, we'll do seven or eight, you know? So like every time she calls one, I'm like, this is the last one. No, this is the last one. Oh, and I did no. that for like 10 pieces. It was brutal. And um but every single piece, like, even though we were all gassed and like literally cr almost crying every time she was like, okay, build in two. And you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> we just like kept not 
going slow. Like this sounds so conceited, but it, it just like kept going well, even though it was like so, so, so hard. And for me, that was like a light bulb session. Like I remember getting onto the dock and being like, guys, we can be that wrecked, that much pain, like feeling that sorry for ourselves, and we're still able to maintain speed, then that's pretty cool. So that was like a standout workout for me, I think. But standout session, we did, um, we were doing a pairs matrix, 1500 meter pairs matrix for selection in like January last year. And it was absolutely pouring rain, freezing temperatures. And we would like do a piece, come into the dock and make a switch, but then you're absolutely drenched and you have to, I think we all brought like a couple of changes of clothes. Like you bring an extra uni, an extra shirt or whatever to change into in between the pieces. But we had all underestimated how bad the conditions really were. And so by piece, you know, three and four were all still in our wet clothes. It was miserable. Oh. Like I remember just being like absolutely freezing. And we all, <laughs> I just remember being in the change room after that session and everyone was like, this is ridiculous. We're going to have to like, tell to someone about this. Like next time that happens, we have to mutiny and not do that again. And it's like, <laughs> it's all talk because if our coach was to like line us up and make us go back out, we would all do it. But it was, I remember that session being especially brutal temperature wise. Mm. Like, that no, was those, those days where you like just question your life choices. Uh, like, oh, Lord, what have I, I done to myself to end up here? I didn't know. <laughs> but then in Tokyo, mm. we were just, I mean, we expected it to be really hot. And so we did a lot of like heat training, leaning in. Like we would do, like we would just work out in our, our dome and just crank the heat and simulate like that, those temperatures. But I remember in our staging camp, we were in a town called Sagmahara that's like 50 kilometers outside of Tokyo for a couple of weeks before moving to the village. And I remember our first couple of sessions there and you look down and you're sweating so much that your hands are all just, everything is pruning. Mm. Oh. And I was just like, this is just so Unpleasant. gross. Yeah, it is nasty. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, at the same time, it's like kind of hardcore. So that kind of makes yeah. it fun. Mm. No, very hardcore. I think growing doesn't have to pretend to be hardcore by the nature of the sport. What we yeah, do exactly. is, is, uh, is right. it's hard enough. Like it is hard enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to towards the end of the interview, and of course we have nice. uh, the the quick fire questions. And um, okay. to kick off the first one is if you could ra- if you could race any boat class at the Olympic Games, what would it be? Other than the eight, you, you can still choose the eight if you if you yeah. want to go back and and and. Yeah, I'll choose the eight again. That went well. Back to the eight. Why not? You won one Olympic gold medal. There's no reason not to. Yeah, yeah. So, um, a little a take on like uh, you know, like if you could choose people to to have dinner with, or you know that uh, that Mm. question. If you could choose any three people to row in a four with, uh, from anywhere, any any time, and 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 which would your three crewmates be? That's really good. Alex Gregory would be one. Oh, good Definite choice. Idol of mine. I mean, well, he was like, he rode for GB um, leading up to, or like in 2016 when I was first yeah. on the team. And I remember being like, he like, everything he touched just turned to gold. And I was like, this guy's unreal. Um, mm. So yeah, Alex Gregory, I think would be one. Um, Silken Lauman. I don't know if you know who she is. She's a, uh, like a bit of a Canadian legend. She, well, she's a single scholar, but she was a scholar in the nineties. Oh, no. oh um, yes. She was, uh, didn't she win in 92? Um, she, she didn't win, second... but she had won like a lot of the world championships, but then she actually got into like an insane bike accident, like very soon 
before her games and like had this insane rehab story and was able to still make it onto the podium. And she's just like, I mean, we've interacted oh, so a lot cool. with her being in rowing Canada and she's just like super pleasant, super awesome. Mm. Seems like somebody that worked really hard back in her day. So yeah, probably Silicon, Alex Gregory, and I don't know. Hamish Bond. <laughs> oh, there we go. A wealth Let's see if of he can experience. win the four too, you know? He can win the pair and the eight, but can he roll four? We'll see. Yeah, why not? Make, yeah. Let's test the last sweep event that he can get, get involved <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. He was well, he is world champion in the four, isn't he? He is from 2007. No, 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 right. 2007. 2007, sorry. 2007? Yeah. 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 Wow. I didn't mean to say that so dramatically. <laughs> no, Hamish, no, it, you you have a right to be surprised. I, I think like a lot four. of people, yeah, a lot of people forget, and even even with Eric, Eric went to to Athens and he went to Beijing. Yeah, I think a lot of yeah. people forget that uh, you know they, they always had a life obviously, before the pair. Yeah, they had a life before the pair, and I think you know a lot of people forget they had to do some proper hard yards before they got um, you know yeah. to to be the the the, the famous Kiwi pair. Yeah. What about you guys? Who would you row in a four with? Can I flip the tables here? Mm, yeah, interesting. Sure. Yeah, I think I'm going to... I'll go first, Jake. I think I'm ready. Ooh, Straight ready. up. I'm going Redgrave, Hamish, Drugin. That's... If it's, <laughs> if it's for speed. If it's for speed. If I'm going to, to race in it. I think I'm going yeah. to have a paddle. Then maybe... Then I would put like Olaf and Mahi, I think, in. Yeah. Just for, just for, because be cool. they're just such legends. It would just be cool to have a row with them. Yeah. yeah. So Jake? I think for me, I would flip it up. I would, I would, would love to, to row and, and race in a four with, uh, with my parents and my sister. I think, uh, oh. that would be what a good combination, especially my parents had never rowed, but they've, they've become such big fans of the sport and they, you know, Besides the fact that obviously they have vested interests in me, they're absolutely mm -hmm. a massive fans of the sport. So I would love to give them an opportunity to to see what it's like. You said they'd never rowed before. No, they have never rowed. Um, oh, that's but, awesome. But uh, they, my, they've they've and stuff before. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I've, I've still yet to get them in a rowing boat. I'm trying to. That's a plan for the future. Oh, I love my family, but we would yeah. kill each other if we were in a boat together. For sure. <laughs> Jake just yeah. knows he just knows that they're listening, and he's just trying to score some brownie points. <laughs> Maybe. Well, Maybe that would work. Yeah, I have three brothers, and all of us rode at some point, and we actually raced oh, in okay. 2017. We raced together, and uh, in like a big race in How South Africa. Go? Oh, I went really well. No, last, it went well. Last Jake oh, it went well for them. <laughs> they beat me. <laughs> it, they, they did very well. Yeah. Although yeah. it was it was intense. It was heated. You know, siblings hold nothing back. So the training. Oh, I know was, that's what are we are like in my yeah. family. Like we would just be brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. I always am very I always am very envious though of like the you know sibling combinations. Mm. Like that's got to be like special on yeah. a whole new level if you're yeah you know that's cool. No. I, yeah. I think it must be crazy, but yeah, there must be fights. Like you know, I just think of the Sinkoviches. They must be laying it I down know. sometimes. The coach was <laughs> like, screaming at each other yeah. at a hundred decibels. Just <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I can no, imagine their fights being pretty good. Yeah, no, I'm like, sure. You know, I once watched. Um, I'm trying to think what the there was the the Dutch uh, twins, and they used to to race in the lightweight four, and they 
one of the, it was sitting, I think, like a two and three seat, and then they crossed the finish line. One of the guys had caught a crab. The 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 three men had caught a crab in the race, and they crossed the finish line. His brother just started punching him in the back on the finish line. <laughs> it was brutal. It was so oh, wild to watch. God. I'm trying to think. It must have been back in like 2010, 2011, somewhere there. Yeah, I do remember wow. that. I do remember watching it race. It was quite uh, an interesting sight. No way. <laughs> wow. I guess yeah. when you cross the finish line, it's always like your most unfiltered self, yeah. I think, right? Because you're yeah, just like 100%. completely drained. So you have no energy to self-control yourself at all. And I'm always like, you're going to see people's purest yeah. selves in the last like 30 seconds and, after they cross the finish line. And then tell mm. us, you know, like when we, it must have been wild in the eight. Because as you cross the finish line at Tokyo, there was like this lady in the umpire. That lady that was like, don't cross the booty line. Yeah, lady, like yeah. there's nobody everyone. on the dock. <laughs> just relax, please. <laughs> during, the, like, during the day, so like the really oh. bad wind. I was like, we could sit here with our blades flat and be at that wall in like two seconds. Like, give us... yeah, she and definitely. She was, um, yeah, she didn't make any friends. And also, like, you've just finished no. a race. You're like exhausted. You're just trying to like catch your breath. And there's someone like screaming at you to like touch around <laughs> and not cut the, the line and oh my word i mean i get it if it's like you know potential collision about to happen but there's there's no like safety problem really you know i yeah i don't know i think we yeah. always had a chuckle like being if you're on land and you hear her just like screaming at people <laughs> it was so funny one day we had um we were training oh man i hope she doesn't listen to this um but <laughs> one day we were training and we were um spinning at the finish line to like head back up to do another run and our lightweight men's double was also spinning and they like cut one buoy and then kept going and we were just like grabbing a drink of water so we were listening to this whole thing of her just like yelling at them and you gotta finish that like, she made them like row back go around the buoy and then go oh, up God. the lane and they were so pissed and we were just laughing at it the whole time because we knew them when we got back on land and had a really good laugh with them oh about it. that's so funny mm. oh she was <laughs> that's crazy. the best also, like, yeah. the eights are like they're not easy to like just spin and turn and maneuver no! maneuvering those things is insane we were like definitely really nervous especially with like getting the boat into the gate and then with it being windy right like it's so quick for us to move and mm. they put the boot up right and you got to get your bow into the boot and you never want to be the boat that like doesn't just smooth smoothly yeah. glide into the boot and i remember we did like a lot of practice starts because kit our coxswain just really wanted to get it right and get into the boot and everything mm. and we got it and it was good and so we felt like we had it down and on the day of the heat our first race the boots were like very sensitive and i think that they i think it must be like this because of false starts but if you put too much pressure on like the front of the boot they'll actually fall um, and so we're like trying to line up in this boot and every time we went in and like took a stroke, our baba would hit the front of it and it fell back down oh, again and no. it took us so long to line up and get in. And I just remember being like, oh God, oh God, figure it out, figure it out. This is so embarrassing. But luckily like China <laughs> took a little longer than we did. So it was fine, but I hate, yeah. I don't know when I'm at home, I'll mess up all the time. But when you're on international course, no, so it's like, you want to look cool. Yeah. You know? Especially at the heat of Olympic games. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We were like, oh my God. And then like the crew, like New Zealand's in the boat next to us, like just looking at us like these chumps can't get in there. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. So, we had a good laugh about it afterwards. Yeah. So the, the next question on our, our list is what is, what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? Oh my gosh. Okay. I, really love the men's four race from 
Oh gosh. I think it's Athens when the Canadians and the GB. Oh yes. Like, with Bonnie, Bonnie Williams on the stroke GB seat. Won. Yeah. 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 That's the one. I think that's like an epic race to watch. I really, really it like is that an epic race. race. Yeah. No, it was um, Jake, Jake Wetzel as well. What a yeah, yeah. 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 What a legend. He's like, that race is insane. I really like watching that race. Mm. And yeah, then probably one. in my own field, I think like the women's eight race from the 2017 world championship finals, oh. like, or no, yeah. World champs final when it was just like, no, I think, fun. I think if you, if you're listening and you haven't watched that 2017 race, go on to world rowing yeah, and it's pretty good. watch that race. It is so good. Mm, it is crazy, such a crazy, ridiculous race. Yeah. Then our next one is if you were in charge at world rowing, what would you change? Yeah. Okay, this might be a little controversial. Oh, nice. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, boy. I think that <laughs> I, I don't know if I see much of a point in, like, finals that aren't A finals, if that makes sense. Like, I know this sounds really controversial because it's not to, like, disrespect anybody that doesn't make an A final, but I find it strange how unlike swimming or in track or something if you don't advance you still continue racing mm -hmm. i think i would no i wouldn't take the repishage out i think it's like keep that in for sure but i think almost like the way the last chance regatta is run like once you don't make the next stage you just stop racing i think that's probably what i would do and it sure. sounds really cutthroat and it's not to like <laughs> disrespect like people in BC finals, but I just don't see sometimes, I don't know, maybe just at the, I don't know. I don't want to say anymore and get myself in any more trouble, but that's probably what I would change <laughs> if I was being really, really cutthroat. If I'm being really nice, I would probably put a little more space between the finish line and that buoy line once you cross the finish line. So our lady <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But I know yeah. that's really cutthroat. No, it's that's that's uh, that's the that's the way it has to be at the end of end of the day. Um, yeah. And then the next question, this is the one that everyone listening wants to, to find out about. Oh, this no. this one is uh, what is your two thousand meter PB on the on the Ergo machine? Everyone listening is dying for this. Um, it is six thirty one. Six thirty one. Okay, yeah. that's that's yeah. quite uh, quite the phenomenal like, time eerily or not eerily but annoyingly close i mean i it's so funny i always find like if you're breaking a 10 second barrier like that feels like huge but to drop a second or two seconds like in the middle of something like to go from uh, you know 36 to 34 doesn't feel as significant as going from yeah. 31 to 29 you know yeah and so nice. yeah i think it's like annoyingly close to breaking 630 i was um <clears throat> Carling Zeman, our single scholar, is like also just a complete machine on the erg, and she's broken six thirty a couple times. And I always like, I don't know, there's always a target, but never, never able to get that. And so I feel so, like, yeah. So we've we've got a, a ladder, you know, like a, a Top Gear ladder. Everyone that we we interview and we we stick the the, the numbers up on the on the board, mm -hmm. and uh, just trying to pull it up here, and you finish in fourth place on the women's uh on the women's team and you okay yeah. fourth is like the cutthroat place but oh that's yes that's cutthroat <laughs> you're just behind kath granger kath granger went 6 30. oh um, man who's second and first 
Uh, we got uh, Kim, uh, Kim Brennan and Brennan. Emma Twig. Kim Brennan went 6.26 and Emma Twig went 6.29. Then Kath Granger. Then you. And then you've got a comfy lead ahead of uh, Sunita on a 6.35. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I hope you don't interview Carling anytime soon. So I'll hold <laughs> on to my board. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to sabotage every interview that you have with anybody that can erg faster than me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, keep, I don't want to get kicked out the eighth final. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Wow. That's respect. I, it's so funny. I think when you see like Emma example, it's like a perfect example of she's not like a big person. I'm six foot two, like. 88 kilos i'm a big girl right and so it's like big girls are whatever that's fine but when you see like kind of not smaller but normal sized people who can like lay down some sweet times like that to me is like insane it's very How impressive are you doing that? Yeah. If you're not throwing your whole body weight into it what's like powering this no it is very is impressive it? to see people with the disgusting no. engine that can do big stuff on the ogre i know especially guys like it oh man mm. Yeah. I'd, so I'd love I'll... to feel what it's like to be a man doing a 2k just for like one second like to see well, the splits no i can tell you it still hurts just as much it's flipping <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's, well, it's... i'll never let down the argument that it hurts more for us because we're going for longer but... yeah i know that's that, that's one thing when when we're in the team and then we usually do time pieces now but whenever you do the distance piece sometimes yeah. it's, it's I, I can't imagine how brutal it must be like all the guys are finishing. It's like, oh, come on, five seconds, keep going, and then boom, finish. And then you're like, oh, fuck, I still gotta go for like another minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah it must be, brutal. it must be quite brutal. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. Yeah, they're like, you know, you still have like, I don't know, we'll do like six k steady state, you know, and the mm. guys will finish theirs, and you still have like eight hundred meters left. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but I mean, crazy. and I mean, the the top times on the on the main side are just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, to think of like what just frankly. Josh Dunkley, did, oh, yeah. um, well, like here's the world record. I mean, he's seeing 123 down yeah. the down the the middle of the race. It's like, yeah, so much quicker. But on our on the show, we are, uh, the best we've had is uh, Ollie, and I'm sure he's gone quicker than that. But he went 38, yeah. 538. What is his? 538. Oh, okay. But I'm sure he's gone quicker because that was quite a while back, actually. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see quicker from him also, like yeah. in the next mm. little while. I hope at least. I don't know. I've never spoken a word to him ever, but I'm secretly a very big fan. Not secretly. I'm saying it on a podcast. I'm, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan. No, yeah, we, and, we, we are so big fans of him. It was oh, That was one of the yeah. hardest things yeah, to, to watch when he missed out um, on the that final. Was day. Yeah, that was I know. Tough. Everyone was like, can you believe it? And I was like, I mean, I don't know him from out. I was just like, that's so... I don't know. Anybody who's had a heartbreaking result can just relate to like how crushing that must have been for mm. them. Like that was brutal. No, to be tough. such a heavy favorite too, and then have like on top of feeling the way you're feeling, to also have to deal with like, you know, everyone in the world that's like, oh, what an underperformance! Like that's brutal. I my, yeah. I want to see yeah. him do really well in the next little while here. I think that'd be sweet. Yeah, and then I'm sure we're gonna. On, I'm sure we're gonna see a lot more of him. Yeah, yeah, and then on the men's yeah. side, the the top Canadian um, uh, performers, Derek Porter, who pulled a five forty two way back in the nineties, and I'm sure you you obviously aware of Derek. He was an absolute machine. Oh my gosh! The first time I met him, I've only met him twice, and the first time I met him, we were at this like Rowing Canada coaches conference, like. Um, but had like a dinner after the coaches conference, and they invited us all there and stuff. And he was there also, and. Terry Paul was his coxswain, I think, in 92. Mm. Wait, 
her. Yeah, ninety two. He raced he the eight. At that time. Yeah, he won yeah. the won the eight in ninety two. And Terry was a coach is a coach on our team, so he like introduced me to him because he knew that I was like a big fan. And I just I don't even know what I said. I think I was like, "Hey, I'm Christine," <laughs> and then walked away. <laughs> and I was wearing like a V-neck dress, and I caught myself like I caught a glimpse of myself in a mirror that was like kind of in the room that we were in, and I was just like busted out in hives because I was just so nervous. And the whole time I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's gonna think I'm such an idiot." But then the next time I saw him, I was super cool. Yeah. <laughs> No, he was a, he was an absolute <laughs> legend to chat to. Yeah, no. he's pretty. Yeah, he was like much more soft spoken. Yeah, he is. Than he I was. Expected. Yeah, that's also one thing that took me aback. Also, we, I know we're extending here, but anyway, we spoke to. I think we spoke no, to fine, Zeno, no. Zeno Muller uh, before him, and Zeno he they raced each other uh, like a couple times, big rivalry, and then you know Zeno was just like this super outgoing so really competitive like you i just wanted to take the fight to them and like you know he yeah. was super super intense and then you you know derek was much more like laid back and soft-spoken yeah. and like yeah you know it was it even took took me back i was actually you know super super humble guy and such a such a gentleman yeah you guys are the coolest thing i mean you guys got to talk to all the, like that's really sweet i don't know i feel like i'm a bit of a rowing fangirl sometimes so i'm, I'm a bit envious yeah. that you get to just like it's kind of why we of not only people that are current yeah. but also like all the legends no on the it's way kind back. of why we started sick. we started if you ever like... need a guest host or something <laughs> one of yeah. you are sick <laughs> of course of course <laughs> no sure. we'll keep you in the loop yeah nice. it's one of the well, reasons it must be hard I... too to to interview people that are really quiet like i don't know i feel like when you're just kind of like trying to get stuff out of them that's a real skill of a good interviewer so yeah, mm. Good job, most most rowers are very chatty. So yeah, like I must when, say it's... when we get it, like when are we gonna cut in it and, and take off? <laughs> That's the problem. That's <laughs> the problem. Is like some guys hijack the interview and they like start you like, okay, we want to talk about this Olympics, this part, and then they just start like touching base on all sorts of things. You're like, whoa, 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 you know, hold up, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about these Olympics and we we'll go to the world champions there and we can go to your injury that you had there. You don't need to like get everything done. Like, in talk minutes. about rowing in the whole world. Yeah. I mean, it's really fun that that can happen, I guess, because like, I guess the last thing you want is for everyone to just talk about like the same thing all the time. Yeah. You know, mm. like, I mean, like we've mentioned a couple of times, the rowing stroke is just so at the end of the day, it's so simple mm. and it would be very easy to just talk about the same things all the time. Yeah, so com completely. Yeah. I think the best example ever is when we chatted to Zeno. So like we had our like whole planche like uh, set up oh and we're like, cool, like this is we don't want to like start from the beginning and like do it chronologically. Yeah. We want to jump around a little bit and like yeah. you know go go from there. So we asked like the first question about like a race, and he's like, "If we're gonna talk about that race, we need to go back twenty years." And then he started going like, <laughs> and "We're like, oh no." <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh I, my think, God. I think we had like an hour with him and we like we only asked him like two or three questions he just yeah oh, straight up really oh wow completely hijacked but it was so awesome he is like no it was crazy great. energy uh yeah. i think out of anyone hilarious. ever like he just had like this ferocious hunger to like prove himself and it was actually just it was really cool no you can cool see job. why he you can see why he was like the olympic champion and like you, I mean, we were saying, mentioning it earlier, he wasn't like the what biggest. What year was he? 96. Was he okay. was a gold medal in the, in the men's single in 96, yeah. And a phenomenal race okay, as well. Right. Flip, he came, he, he, the second, his second thousand was ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
What's the, your guys' Oh, you know what race I forgot to say that also I think is super epic when you're asking about epic races is mm. the men's single from Rio with Mahe. Yeah, I, uh, when you yeah. started saying, oh, you know what forgot? I was like, it's going to be uh, Mahe yeah. and uh, Demi and Martin <laughs> from Rio. Yeah, that's a really good one. <laughs> that, was yeah. a, that was a big one, yeah. yeah. I don't know why that just popped into my mind when you said like men's singles in the Olympics. That was like, Mahe. Yeah, that's then, then um, ultimate dress. Uh, the last of the, the quick five questions is if you mm. had to choose a different sport to go to the, the Olympics in, which sport would you choose? I feel like the Jamaican in me has got to say, like, Bob's I'd love hitting. to be a, a, <laughs> I was gonna say a, a sprinter, but Bob's <laughs> yeah, you can combine the best of both worlds, you know, the Jamaican, the Jamaican flavor. And then obviously Canada's very, well, how about I'll say like my winter sport can be bobsled. Yeah, and my summer sport, like I think, to be like, you know, a hundred meter sprinter, like that's the sweetest thing. I remember yeah. in in Rio when we could go and watch like lots of events. Like the funnest thing for me was going to the athletic stadium. Like that was so cool. That yeah. and beach volleyball. I feel like that'd be kind of cool. But yeah, yeah. The, the um, it's funny you say bobsled though. That's like the thing I'm getting the most because rowing is very unknown in Jamaica. I didn't even know what it was <clears throat> growing up either too so like going home and um kind of enlightening people about what rowing is and stuff and every like a common reaction is like oh are you gonna do like the jamaican rowing team like the bobsled team and i'm just like okay i don't think <laughs> no <laughs> but yeah. a movie would be uh, nice <laughs> yeah oh, man. for sure uh, and but i think it must be like um i mean to just be part of jamaica and they like they culture around that sprinting mm -hmm. is just unbelievable you know and especially on the yeah. women's side i mean i saw the the stats for like how many medals they've won in the 100 meter over the last like four yeah. olympics and it was just like oh man it was so crazy so cool yeah so, it's yeah. amazing i think it's just um i think a lot of jamaicans feel a lot of pride in it because we're such a small little island right and so to be able to be so successful and dominant in something that's like compared to the rest of the world i think is very cherished and special to a lot of jamaicans and i think that's why it gets as much support and attention as it does from the mm. country at least but yeah i mean they're my idols like i would cut off my right arm if you told me that i could have dinner with usain bolt or something you know so like it's pretty um i think there's a lot of pride there and then like seeing how well the women sprinters have been doing and even they they continue to race in the diamond league after the tokyo mm. games and just continue yeah. to just dominate yeah. and uh yeah they're pretty they're pretty for sure um <clears throat> and you know like sprinting is it's like on the complete opposite spectrum to like rowing in terms of like the training the, the yeah. you know it's anaerobic it's done in like mm -hmm. 11 seconds rowing you have to train like two kilometer sprint but then like the training is super aerobic you do they don't have to go for 30k rows in the winter yeah, you know shit, it's brutal <laughs> it's always funny because we we I do a lot like of training grasp. yeah okay, i can like daily grasp the like what training they do like how do you train for 10 I seconds know. how do you train for 10 seconds yeah, there is no crazy. room for error none you know? like, none at all i think that that kind of pressure i don't know how i would do with that honestly like it's nice with rowing there's always a chance to like fix mm. things you know like, yeah always but you know also like but the start 10 seconds yeah and the start like even for a rowing race like the nerves you have on the start line are like yeah. outrageous and now at least you yeah. have like six minutes to now execute your performance whereas I there, know. I mean, the the like pre-race nerves must be 
They, I don't even, yeah, that must be just a And, like, how other. hard they push their bodies. Like, they literally rip their hamstrings they're pushing yeah, so no, hard. Savage. You know what I mean? Like, I can't even yeah. imagine. Like, we obviously have to pace ourselves that we can last for, you know, anywhere from five and a half to seven minutes, whatever your event is. And they, like, to be able to push yourself that hard that you can completely max out in 10 seconds is shocking. Mm, like, that is crazy. crazy. It is crazy. But um, what maybe an event. Maybe in the next to... life. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in the next life. <laughs> I am not a runner. Running is not for me. I try to run, <laughs> but yeah, we just, we also we do a lot of running in the team, and oh man, it just yeah. it breaks me. Jake has yes. entered in a hundred k race. A hundred k? Yeah, I'm doing it in in November. It's uh it's an ultra trail distance run yeah. in my area. Actually, it's uh it's on the mountains. So in it's my a trail area. run, not like a road. No, it's it's a trail run, and it's probably going to take me like 20, 24 hours to do because of how difficult the terrain is. It's going to be monstrous. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm I have a I'm question. This might be stupid, but do you run the whole time? No. Well, it's because it's like the terrain is no, so do- hectic. You can't you can't actually run the whole time. You have to. There's a lot of like walking, hiking kind of vibes going on because you're literally in in the open in the mountains. Like there's wilderness. You can't. There's no track path for you to follow so it's gonna be brutal we'll see oh, it's, uh, it's gonna, <laughs> you ask him if he's gonna run the whole time he's gonna run for the first hour and then he's gonna bail out have you seen yeah. the documentary the barkley marathons yeah i have seen it i've seen it the, yeah. it's ridiculous i, think, I the, think that's 100k i think it's like a 20k loop right that they do five times. no it's they have to do i think it's um four four five marathons back to back and <sighs> they there's a time limit for each marathon and they right, can only okay. get, there's a certain, there's a certain amount of uh, recovery time you can have between each one that you do. And you literally oh, no. just do them back to back to back to back to back. It's ridiculous. It's like, so it's like in the, when I watch that, I remember going, that's sick, but not for me. When you watch that, are you like, Oh man, I want to try that one day. No, I, that was, that was a bit extreme, but I mean, just to give you some backstory, I, my parents, my parents uh, have done this thing a couple of times. So growing up in oh, the area, this is the first thing that I was aware of in terms of sporting events. So I've always wanted to do oh, it. Okay. So this is the one year I can actually get it done. I'm a 27. I've, um, I'm kind of like, uh, you don't really want to do this when you're super young. So I've kind of like, you know, been an athlete for yeah. a while now. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Wow. Joe, I'm, I'm quite nervous. I'm quite nervous. But also, South Africa has like a weird obsession with like um, ultra, ultra distance events. Like we have, mm-hmm. there's so many of these like ultra distance, like 100k runs. You know, we have this huge uh, road run, the Comrades. That like, basically in South Africa, if you say you're a runner, the next question is, oh, have you done the Comrades? Which is a bit ridiculous yeah. to oh, like, wow. or, like be judged on a if you've done a, an ultra marathon. As a runner, wow! So you guys don't rock the five k, ten k. You know, you're more of like yeah. It's like <laughs> it is. It's quite weird because like Lawrence hit it on the head. There, it's like a completely different culture, and yeah, like you, it's not necessarily about like how fast of a runner you are, like how quickly, like what have you won, how quickly can you do ten k. It's like have you done the mm-hmm. comrades? Like have you done the two oceans? Yeah, like have you done this? Yeah. Like you know, it's it's more about like the I don't know your but just how I, hardcore you can be i don't know i was gonna say Lawrence, you haven't gotten the itch to do that yet no, no, <laughs> I, I enjoy the, the i enjoy riding my bike so i can i'll have you to do yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. some serious stuff and i was on the on the bicycle and running i've only ever run more than 10 k's twice and 
both yeah. of those times I regret fully. <laughs> yeah, you can't walk. You can't walk. Like I'm like, oh, when did I turn 95? Like, oh, wow, good for no, you. No. Have you ever done an ultra marathon or not ultra? Um, an Ironman? No. Is that a no. thing in South Africa? Yeah. No, it is a thing. thing. It's a, it's a big thing. Yeah. It's a huge thing. My yeah. dad's. I haven't done that. Yeah. My dad's done a couple, um, but oh, maybe respect. one day. Mm. The, nice. So that kind of wraps it up. So I think we want to like, uh, do you have anything else that we, we maybe we missed out that you want to chat about or any shout outs to, to anyone at home or anyone listening? Um, no, I think we like really nicely covered sort of the lead up to Tokyo and sort of the in and outs of what we experienced at the regatta. So that that's pretty fun. Um, mm. no specific shout outs. I guess I love my family and yeah, the night, the other eight women that were in the boat with me, like they, yeah. everyone yeah. played their part and it was really cool. So it's, it's weird not being with them right now. Like we, and you spend every minute of every day together. And then after, once the games are done, everyone went home and we're all scattered. And so I miss everyone a lot. I can't wait till we can be together mm. again. <clears throat> so yeah, yeah. shout out to them. Awesome. And then maybe just a, a shout out because actually we're doing that pro row camp uh, in January. Yeah, uh, I was gonna together. say. So I I, when they first emailed out. me, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" And then I heard about the other people involved, and I thought, "This is like," I mean, they kept saying like that I would help them. I feel like it's an opportunity for us to also like be around people that we've looked up to. So I think it's gonna be an awesome week. Yeah, yeah I'm so so excited. It's gonna be really cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, when I meet Alex Gregory, I have to invite him to row the four with me. I guess. Oh shit! Is Alex oh, going to be nearly, there as well? Yeah, and nearly all of your your crew is there almost. You just need um, you just need to bring Hamish. your your Canadian friend oh, down, and then, uh, then yeah, you got yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. Then I got it. Well, yeah, that'd be cool. Tough. <laughs> no, that's anyway. no. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's like the first of its first kind of rowing camp that I've ever seen of that kind. So I think it will be hopefully the first of many. Definitely. Cool. So I think that's a, that's a wrap for us. Uh, just a huge thanks to you for giving us so much of your time and uh, sharing just such mm. a cool journey and story with us. I think uh, yeah. it's really going to be amazing. Mm. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for, um, Picking me. <laughs> <Straight> <laughs> no, we had, Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. No, it was great to, to get a story because, like, I mean, there's so many incredible uh, results from, from Tokyo. I mean, yeah. it, it just, like, it frustrates me that I can't speak more languages to speak to some of the, the, the countries that aren't, that aren't English just to talk chat English to them. But, speaking, like, the, yeah. the Canadian, your the women's race, the women's eight race was... <clears throat> just another like standout performance like crazy oh, crazy thanks. race um but uh, yeah thanks so much for coming on the show it's been absolute pleasure chatting and yeah all the all the best for what the future holds thank you very much right back at you mm, thank you cool so that is a wrap for our christine roper episode and yes i enjoyed that a lot jake how awesome was uh, was that chat yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, Lawrence and I were, were speaking about it afterwards. It's probably one of the easiest uh, interviews that we've had to do. I think we just had a fantastic chat outside of the, you know, obviously the the chatting on the rowing itself was fantastic and her race in, in Tokyo was fantastic. But the racing, I mean, just talk, talking about the rowing stuff was a uh, really, really cool conversation. And I think, uh, 
you know, for the for the fans out there that enjoy listening to the other aspects about rowing or trying to get get into the like the, the little nuggets of uh, of uh, of the stories that you get when you have these conversations, are going to love this episode. So, yeah, definitely, definitely one, uh, definitely one of my favorites, and uh, fantastic, another fantastic guest on the on the row show for sure. No, it was it was such a cool episode, and I'm sure. People are gonna love it. Um, we realized I realized the other day that I'd left out like when I'd edited uh, Ima's episode together, I'd put like four minutes of silence between the end of the uh, actual show and then our conclusion, and then no one had said anything to me. So I don't know if anyone actually listens to to our conclusion, Jake, <laughs> but if you are still listening, we appreciate it a lot. And uh, yeah, thanks for the support. Go share the show. Um, but yeah, otherwise, hope you guys are having a good day. And hope you're having a good Monday. If you're listening on the free feed, these uh, episodes are coming out weekly on Monday. And I'm sure that you're going to have a great week. And that's enough of us. Enjoy. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the week. Tops. Not too bad, hey? Sweet, dude. So, uh, tell us, like, how was... So, like... <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry.